Previously on Flying the Line. In Alpha's short history, Ted Baker, the owner of National Airlines, was one of the most unscrupulous operators Dave Bankey had to deal with. The pilots of National Airlines attempted to hold their management accountable for poor working conditions, but to no avail. Compounded with the firing of one of their flying partners, the pilot group voted to authorize a strike. Welcome to the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association. Abridged from the book, Flying the Line, by George E. Hopkins. Chapter 13, The National Airlines Strike of 1948, Part 2. Baker sent telegrams to the strikers informing them that they were fired. Then he began advertising far and wide for pilots. Through the Military Pilots Association and other contacts, Baker began hiring pilots to break the strike. The first 77 strike breakers hired averaged 34 years old, with several listing 5,000 hours of pilot time and claiming recent time in the DC-4. By March 1945, he was operating a token schedule of 14 flights daily. Passenger traffic was light, and he was obviously losing money. So he appealed to the Civil Aeronautics Board for financial aid in the form of increased mail subsidies, which was his right. The unwritten story of the National Airlines strike of 1948 was the role that friendly bureaucrats played in sustaining the company. The federal government, in effect, underwrote the costs of the strikes by bailing out Baker after the strike induced by his mismanagement brought the company to the verge of bankruptcy. These bureaucrats were beyond the immediate power of the political process and were traditionally more at home with management than labor. In the long history of federal bureaucrats moving from a supervisory role in government to a hide-salary job in the industry that they previously regulated, none is more blatant than the case of Edward Warner, the noted MIT professor who served on the Civil Aeronautics Board until 1945. As a board member, his rulings invariably went against the pilots. In October 1945, Warner quit his $10,000 per year government job to accept a $22,000 per year appointment with the International Civil Aviation Organization, largely upon the recommendation of the airline industry. In executing the strike, Nationals pilots didn't pull any stops. Bobby Knox was well known as a banner-towing pilot, and Matt Gilmore, a noted skywriter, would write in smoke, Don't fly national while Knox towed a banner reading, National Pilots on Strike, both timing their flights to coincide with nationals. The Century Pilots back in 1932 had done something similar by painting Century is Unfair to Pilots on the side of an aircraft. They used this aircraft to fly formation with E.L. Cord Stinson trimotors. By 1948, of course, such a tactic would have invited retaliation from the Aeronautics Board. 
so the smoke riding and banner towing were more appropriate. By March 1948, the Alba loyalists at National knew they were in for a long struggle. Some pilots left the battle to go back to the military. Others wouldn't help with the picketing. Alpa paid the strikers as much as $500 a month, so there was no extreme financial hardship. But there was considerable psychological hardship, particularly as the strike dragged on without resolution. In May 1948, Alpa secured an overwhelming majority vote from the pilots of all airlines to respect the national pickets wherever they appeared. This would have crippled the industry to such an extent that Baker would have been forced to settle. The Air Transport Association secured a court injunction against this tactic, however, and on May 10th, Alpa lost another round when the Civil Aeronautics Board approved increased mail payments to National. The bureaucrats were obviously going to subsidize the strikebreakers. Dave Banky became involved in the National Pilot Strike only after it was in progress. Banky, as we have seen, had a multitude of troubles in 1948, and the last thing he wanted was a distraction at a carrier like National. But the fight with Baker was well tailored to his strengths, for it ultimately involved an appeal to politics, something Banky was adept at. After Baker completely replaced his Alpa crews, Banky had one recourse left, to take his case to Washington, bring maximum political pressure to bear on Baker, and ultimately seek to deprive Baker of his operating certificate if he continued on this course. The exact pattern of Banky's influence with the Truman administration is impossible to reconstruct because it was exercised indirectly through the American Federation of Labor's political arm. Banky moved skillfully to ally ALPA with the labor movement that was the key to Truman's faint hope of victory in 1948. And he did this when most airline pilots probably were becoming more conservative because of their economic status. Banky courted Truman assiduously in the pages of the association's newsletter repeatedly running stories favorable to his administration, candidacy, policies, and even his family. Shortly after the Civil Aeronautics Board agreed to subsidize Baker's strike-breaking by increasing his mail subsidy, Truman appointed an emergency fact-finding board, as called for under the provisions of the Railway Labor Act. On July 19, 1948, the emergency board reached its verdict, finding that what Alpa sought was reasonable, not the reinstatement of O'Neill, just an impartial determination of the fairness of his discharge. As such a determination had not been made, the strike was warranted and the fault of the carrier. The board also criticized Ted Baker's juvenile attitude in the matter, but that was as far as it could go. Its function was merely to offer a proposal to end the dispute, and it had no power to force either party to accept the proposal. The emergency board's suggestion of arbitration was the only reasonable one. 
but Ted Baker was having none of it. The sad fact about the 1948 strike at National Airlines was that it lasted longer than necessary because it coincided with a presidential election. If Governor Thomas Dewey were to win, Baker would win. It was that simple. Dave Bankey was a longtime Democratic loyalist, but he was open-minded enough to support Republicans who had voted right on ALPA's issues. In 1948, Bankey knew that a Democratic victory was ALPA's best hope. The Republican Congress of 1946 to 1948 was hated by President Harry Truman as it had passed the Taft-Hartley Act with its right-to-work clause severely damaging the labor movement. Consequently, labor leaders were unanimous in their endorsement of Truman. Although nobody gave Truman much of a chance, he somehow managed to pull off the greatest political upset in American history to that point. The little man from Missouri owed it all to organized labor. Now, he had to pay his debts, and part of the bill coming due would be charged to Ted Baker's account. The consensus among veteran ALPA members who participated in the 1948 strike is that had the Republicans won, the pilots would never have gotten back their jobs. The immediate object of Baker's concern after Dewey unexpectedly lost to Truman was the Civil Aeronautics Board's dismemberment hearing which would have revoked National's operating certificate and awarded its roots to Pan American, Delta, and Eastern. Banky had no interest in destroying the airline, however, for that would have made the ALPA loyalists' job loss permanent. But he made certain that ALPA pressed its political advantage fully so that Baker would realize that he either must abandon the luckless scabs to fate or lose his airline. In as curious an episode as ever happened in the history of aviation labor relations, Baker suddenly announced that owing to a deep religious conversion that had put Christian love in his heart and forgiveness in his soul, he now wished to settle. He became a devoted admirer of Dr. Frank Buckman's Moral Rearmament, a religious movement then much in vogue among corporate executives. Immediately after the presidential election, when Baker realized that he had backed the wrong horse, he departed for Buckman's Moral Rearmament headquarters on Mackinac Island, Michigan. On November 24, 1948, an agreement signed in Washington between National Airlines and ALPA ended the strike. The principal points of settlement included binding arbitration in the case of Mastin O'Neill and the rehiring of all National Airlines strikers ahead of the strikebreakers, who would drop to the bottom of the seniority list. Baker had promised the scabs permanent employment. They now faced furlough. For the majority of the 168 scabs on Baker's payroll, the furlough was the only thing about Baker's promise that was permanent. Just 17 managed to survive at the airline after being recalled. For Mastin O'Neill, the outcome proved to be but one more disappointment in a long series of disappointments. The arbitrator assigned to his case 
decided against him down the line. Another part of the settlement required each side to drop all pending litigation. Baker had sued Banky for slander, seeking $5 million in damages after Banky had said that Nationals' planes were unsafe. Banky had, in turn, countersued for a million dollars, alleging that National Airlines' willful attempt to break a lawful union contract caused ALPA financial loss. As much as ALPA spent on the national strike, Baker had spent far more, reporting an operating loss of nearly $3 million for the nine-month, 21-day strike. James Landis, former chairman of the Civil Aeronautics Board and future dean of the Harvard Law School, acted as mediator during negotiations. Despite Ted Baker's sweet talk, which included an offer to let every striker buy 100 shares of National Airlines stock at a huge discount, there remained a suspicion that his new attitude was premised more on necessity than on conviction. Banky had forced upon Baker a settlement that Baker hated and would shortly try to subvert. As for Dave Banky, 1948 marked his last political hurrah. He had cultivated politicians and fellow labor leaders for years. The National Airlines pilot strike was the ultimate test of Banky's ability to have the larger labor union movement serve ALPA's interest. Without the American Federation of Labor and the careful efforts of Dave Banky to exert the power of the national labor movement in Washington, the battle might well have been lost. In January 1949, Dave and Gladys Banky were official guests of President Truman at his inauguration. They stayed in Washington for a week, seeing the sights, relaxing, and attending a number of official parties and galas. Larry Cates, an ex-military pilot who flew a Beechcraft Bonanza regularly and who had replaced John Dickerman as ALPA's Washington representative, took Dave and Gladys Banky flying. They flew down to the Virginia coast, where Banky had participated in bombing exercises in 1928, and over the old Langley Field area, where the Banky's first son had been born in 1927. They finished the flight as the sun set, sailing slowly over the western suburbs, watching the lights come on over the city's marble monuments and edifices. It was Dave Banky's moment. Next time on Flying the Line, we hear about the fallout from the National Airlines strike that came in the form of what was called the War of the Blues and Grays. This rivalry was so heated at times that retired pilots of the era recalled being amazed that no one got killed. Thank you for listening. This has been part two of chapter 13 of Flying the Line by George E. Hopkins. Copyright 1982. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. To listen and subscribe to more in this series, please check us out online at alpa.org or on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or other podcast platforms. Until next time, this is the Flying the Line podcast, a look 
into the past of the Airline Pilots Association. Production copyright ALPA 2020. All rights reserved. <laughs>